0: everyone my name is julia ferrioli it is a lovely gray day in seattle today and i am here with alex cabal who is going to be sharing the 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 details the background the story behind standard ebooks today alex would you like to introduce yourself
1: yes hello uh good to be here julia thanks for inviting me um my name is alex and uh uh, as you mentioned, I run Standard eBooks, which is a volunteer-oriented uh, open-source project that takes public domain books, and that usually means books published before 1927, with some exceptions, and uh, we take those transcriptions and we turn them into uh, really high-quality eBooks that are kind of commercial quality or better, uh, and then that's, that's actually kind of my hobby. My, uh, my actual real-life job is running a writing community called Scribophile. I've been doing that for about 15 years now, and we're one of the, one of the largest writing communities online. And um, that doesn't have much to do with open source, but that's kind of what I actually do in my, my real life job.
0: <laughs> Very cool. So are you a, a writer yourself? Uh, no,
1: not especially. Uh, I, I always tell people I'm part of the life support industry for writers. You know, there's, there's like a gigantic industry of, uh, you know, people helping writers succeed, and that's kind of what I'm part of. Yeah, but I, I don't really write myself, no.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Um, so we'd like to kind of start off with a, a bit of a fun question. Um so do you have um favorite background music to listen to while you work?
1: Um yeah, I, I so I listen to a lot of salsa music. I enjoy that a lot. Um I You know, I have a big collection of, like, 70s and 60s era salsa that is always kind of a go-to for me. I can put on the the background and and kind of tune out. Um, I listen to, like, a lot of jazz. um, uh, Yeah, those sorts of things. Um, I I have a hard time uh, listening to music that has, like, lyrics in it, you know? And so... um, when I'm working especially and so those are those you know jazz obviously doesn't have lyrics salsa has lyrics but they're they're often repetitive and so you can kind of tune them out so that's kind of I think why I like it
0: I I hear you I have the same um I have the same kind of considerations it either has to be lyrics that I know really really well Mm -hmm. or none at all or in a different language that I can't understand
1: Right, right. Well, I can speak Spanish, so that doesn't help me there. But oh, it's, yeah. uh, but the repetitiveness is, you know, useful. And and there's only so much salsa in that era of '60s and '70s. Like that era is over, and so after a while, you kind of un- recognize all the songs, and you get used to them, and so it's not like a brand new thing anymore.
0: Right. Exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think I think a lot of people have that that kind of criteria where mm-hmm. um, it needs to be it needs to occupy like. In my head, the back of your head, but not the front of your head. So we can still think. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. Um, So I'd love to understand a little bit about how standard eBooks came to be.
1: Sure. Um, So I I started it... Uh, I started working on eBooks probably about 10-ish years ago, maybe a little longer. And the reason I did was because at the time I was living in Germany, and I was living in a small town. That was it was a lovely town, but there was not really a way to get English language books there. I'd have to go to like the nearest big town, and even then, like it was kind of a crapshoot. They didn't have a great selection. If you'd find a lot of like copies of Harry Potter and Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. That was the popular book in that day. And I was like, I'm not gonna. I'm done reading those. So, I decided to work on eBooks, and uh, I would go on Project Gutenberg, which I'm sure you and your listeners are familiar with. And I would download these books, and I would be often disappointed in the quality of the of not the transcription. The transcription itself is usually pretty good, but like the presentation of it, and they were not great to read on ink devices which is what i had they were kind of i mean a lot of those books are very very old project gunberg is 50 years old and so a lot of those books they produced were produced in an era when html like wasn't quite settled yet um before unicode existed even uh people forget that you know 50 years ago there was no unicode and um and so the ebooks weren't Often of great quality. So I thought to myself, why didn't I try to improve the situation just for my own self? And so I would work on ebooks for myself, just privately, um, to to bring them up to a standard that I thought was good. And after a while, I realized I was developing this kind of gigantic tool chain to make everything work. Uh, and I could do a whole lot of a lot of interesting things like you know, adding some nice typography, um, automating checks for typos, um, you know that, that kind of thing, taking advantage of uh, what the EPUB, EPUB format allows, which is you know, it's a pretty powerful format. Um, so I, I kind of formalized it for myself in that way. And then initially what I did was I collaborated with a friend of mine who was an artist to do a, an edition of Alice, Alice in Wonderland that he illustrated mm. and at the time, again, this was like 10 years ago. It was the hot new thing was pay what you want models. Uh that was people were like trying experimenting with that. That was kind of like the thing that Radiohead did to kind of kickstart all that stuff. And so we decided to do it like as a pay what you want ebook. Um and we just and we just called that publisher standard ebooks. We thought that was kind of a cool name and he designed the logo. Um, and that book didn't really go anywhere. We made like a hundred bucks on it. It was more of an experiment than anything. Um, but I, I liked the name, I liked the logo, and then a couple years later I thought to myself, you know, I'm doing all these ebooks for myself. Why don't I put them online for people to enjoy? I can put the tool chain online, then maybe someone will end up using it. Um, and so I put together the website, I reused the name and the logo, and uh, it kind of took off. Uh, everyone really liked those books and people were really interested in contributing and uh maybe that was probably like five years ago five to seven years ago i don't really remember now um and uh i've been kind of doing it ever since and now it's it's gone from you know being a hobby in my spare time to almost being a full time job in itself because there's so many people involved now um we have a big um Community of volunteers from all over the world, and I'm spending a ton of time, you know, just managing people and assigning tasks to people, reviewing people's work, um, answering questions. Um, people have what seems like a real simple question about something, and it takes like an hour to research. And my answer is maybe yes or no, but it took like an hour to to achieve yes or no. Um, and so it takes up a lot of time, but but you know I enjoy doing it.
0: And this is on top of your full time job. Yeah. So nights, weekends, I'm assuming?
1: Yeah, um, right. Uh, nights, weekends, um, I you know, I check in during the day fairly often. Mm-hmm. Um, nowadays, I have a team that I call our, our editors, and they help a lot. They do a lot of the day-to-day work nowadays. Um, I assign them books to manage and books to review, and they kind of do it on their own because they know how the system works. They have a good sense of um typography and kind of flavor of the kinds of works we're working on and so now it is i can trust them with a lot that i used to have to do myself so they're a huge huge help
0: so let's talk a little bit about that um you said that there was a a a lot of interest from the community to to both consume and help out what was your kind of what was your first reaction to this influx of 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 interest I guess
1: I guess I was pleasantly surprised you know I mean I didn't expect it to go anywhere it was, again I was doing it for myself mm-hmm. um, but to see that uh, people were really interested um, it, it, f- it feels good and it, it's, it's it, it was a good validation of the idea you know it seemed like there was a huge demand for high quality ebooks mm-hmm. and people um, you know s- understood that project Gutenberg could be improved upon Mm-hmm. And so I was, I was happy to do that.
0: Were there any challenges that you faced in kind of in scaling the the volunteer base that you had?
1: I think the, the challenges I had were mostly challenges of my own time management. Um, once, once word of the project got along, it seemed to kind of grow on its own. And it's it's not like I'm out there advertising it or mm-hmm. really making a huge effort at all in that sense. Um, so, attracting people didn't seem to be the problem. The problem was I attracted so many people that I was running out of time to help them all. And because not only, you know, people have questions during the process, they have questions related to the technology, they have questions related to the book itself. Um, you have to keep on top of people to complete what they're doing because a lot of people start a project and they'll abandon it or they need to be prodded along from time to time. Um, and so all that took a huge amount of time and it took a while for me to, um, I guess, find those people uh, who were helping that were helping consistently and whose work I could trust and that were doing high quality work and then finally being able to offload some of that work to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was probably the biggest challenge. And you know, it was, it was challenging too in a, in a way because I, I enjoyed doing it and so because, you know, you can get sucked into something like that, you know, you just spend hours and hours doing something and you forgot that you had an appointment somewhere else. And, um, you know, so, so yeah, I, w- I would say that was kind of the big challenge in this project.
0: I, for, for anybody listening or reading, um, I'm, I'm grinning because a lot of these comments hit home for me. Um, <laughs> so, especially the missing appointments one yeah <laughs> hyperfocus is a real thing is a is a challenge, <laughs> right so in in your volunteer base, I imagine you have a a bunch of people with very differing skill sets, right? You've got the the folks yes. working on the tool chain and then also kind of the editorial side. yeah,
1: I mean, you'd be surprised I, the people who tend to stick around are talented in on all those areas. Mm-hmm. Um, we definitely have, uh, the, the tool chain is probably the fewest contributors, That's it's mostly me and then a handful of other people who do the big contributions. Um, but as far as ebooks themselves go, um, just in order to, to get started, you need a pretty solid understanding of the command line, um, of you know basic HTML, um, the ePub format isn't too complicated, but you have to have some knowledge of HTML and stuff. Um, and And then on top of that, you have to have a good eye for proofreading. You have to be able to read the book and catch typos and catch things like, oh, maybe there should have been a comma here, but I don't see one. And then you would have to go check the page scans to see if there is one. And so the people who, a lot of people contribute one ebook and then that's kind of it and that's fine. Um, But the people who contribute more than one often have all those skills um, pretty well lined up. Um, So it's interesting in in that sense that, there's a, there's a lot of skills that are required, but the people who work with us have all of them. Uh, it's it's not like we're hand we're it's not like we're handing off parts to other people to finish. You know, it's not like an assembly line.
0: Gotcha. So you've got one person responsible from start to start. Yeah, to finish. exactly.
1: One one person's in charge of their book from start to finish, and then we have one of our editors managing them, like, you know, so mm-hmm. if this person has questions and they, the questions go to the editor and not to me. And then we assign them a reviewer at the end who's a different person. He's going to look over the book um, once they're finished.
0: Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes sense. And that that's also probably a really great way to, to give people the full experience of what it is to, to contribute to standard eBooks because they get yeah. to start to finish.
1: They get to do a start to finish. I, you know, I always say it's it's like building your own lightsaber. You know, where it's it's just a it's a satisfying thing to be able to take an entire thing from from beginning to completion, and then you're able to read it and enjoy it as well, um, mm-hmm. because part of the project is having to read the book in order to catch any typos that might have gone past previous transcribers.
0: So, when people catch typos, and this is just me being super curious, um, how do you tell if it's a typo in? a previous transcription, or if it was a typo in the original book.
1: Yeah, so nowadays, um, you can find all those page scans of those books online. Places like Internet Archive, uh, Google Books, HathiTrust, all have huge libraries of paper books that they've scanned. And you can almost always find the edition that was transcribed uh, and compare it to the page scans. So that's basically how we do it. Mm -hmm. And what a lot of people don't realize is that Books, and especially the very popular books like Jane Austen or, you know, Herman Melville or whatever, have gone through many, many, many editions in the past several hundred years. And each one is totally different because back in the day, there were no computers. Um, People were setting type by hand in like lead blocks, you know, and uh, different editors would do their own thing to different editions. Uh, They would change spelling. They would do all kinds of things and do their own punctuation. And, And no one cared back then. It was not, concern or even thought about Uh, and so it's very common to get editions that are totally different and sometimes the transcription that we receive is a blend of editions and there's not really any way to tell Um, so you just have to go in there and and do your best you know you have to you know part of the project is uh having a lot of critical thinking in the sense that in the sense that sometimes these the history of these editions is very complicated and you just have to do some research and do what you think is best. And sometimes there's not necessarily a right answer and the answer you pick is going to make some people mad, but that's just how it is. You got to do it.
0: Do you ever get people trying to insert their own, um, not commentary, but stances maybe on, on grammatical concepts? I'm totally not thinking about the Oxford comma here.
1: <laughs> uh, no, we, we, I hope not, at least because I don't have time to read all his books. <laughs> um, you know, I, People sometimes ask like, oh, this, this sentence would sound better if the comma was here, but I don't see one in the scans. And I always tell them, look, that's a mistake of the authors and it's not really our business to be changing that. I, I don't think grammar in particular is something that's we, we do change spelling because I don't think that's a big deal. But things like comma placement, or, you know, this should have been a period or there should have been a semicolon. You, we should probably just leave that. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, the other thing is that we, ch- uh, part of the project is to have a sort of consistent style across all of our eBooks. And so if we're going to be doing something to one eBook, say, for example, another uh, thing that used to be common was using a colon instead of a semicolon. Mm-hmm. Where you would see today you would be familiar with the semicolon back a hundred years ago, they would use a regular colon. And that's unusual for us to read nowadays. And so that's a, a common question we get. Well should I change it to a, a semicolon? And the answer is no, because then we have to go back through all of our books and change them all. And then who's going to sit there and read all of them? Sometimes the colon is actually correct. You know, it's not within the scope of human endeavor to do that. You know?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Has there any? Has there been anything super surprising in your journey with standard e-books?
1: Um, I I guess the success of it surprises me in a way. I didn't think that so many people would be interested in these old books, um, but people really are, and it's it's not. I don't even think it's because they're free. I think that's part of it. I think the fact that they're free is an attraction to some people. But I also think that people are genuinely interested in the literature of the time. Mm-hmm. And that, thats kind of surprising. I've always enjoyed it um, myself, uh, but yeah, it's—it's always—it's nice to see that. I mean, in my real life, I'm not out there talking to my friends about, you know, a copy of a Voyage to Arcturus. You know, that doesn't happen in my real life. And so, when it doesn't happen in your real life, you tend to think that it doesn't happen anywhere. But it turns out that people do really like this stuff, and that's—that's that's really cool to see.
0: Yeah, and one of—if I—if if I, I may add some—some some of my own opinion um the standard ebooks also helps a lot with accessibility for for mm-hmm. some of these old books um because in a lot of in a lot of cases what you do get without it is just pages uh, images of pages right right which yeah so great. the
1: yeah the accessibility you're right is that we make a point of doing that actually so mm-hmm. our our style guide, which you can find online, is um, defaults to that, um, not not explicitly. We don't go out there and say this has to be accessible, but everything that we do in that, in that guide is designed around accessibility, um, because accessible books are not only accessible, which is a good thing in their own right, but they turn out to be much simpler uh, internally and um, much more well-structured and uh, much easier to machine process, which is, another important aspect of of what we're doing we want all of our books to be consistent internally because that way it's much easier to make changes across the entire corpus of books if we have to because everything's very consistent
0: Mm -hmm.
1: if you go if you open a commercial ebook nowadays you you download something from amazon and you open it up to see what's inside the i mean like the actual ePUB format uh, it's going to be more often than not it's a complete disaster it's you know the kind of html that you would see like generated by javascript or something on the web where you're like it's unreadable um and so those kinds of books are not possible to to update because it's everything's totally different so Mm
0: -hmm.
1: yeah we're trying to do something where um accessible books are are simple on the inside it's easier to make them uh and uh there's a lot of benefits so that's what we do
0: very cool um in in terms of open source, how do you feel that open source has really impacted the the project in and of itself?
1: Uh, well, the, the entire project is open source. Mm-hmm. Um, we use uh, Python for our tool set And we pull in a lot of libraries, you know, obviously, Python is that batteries included language. So there's a lot of uh, libraries ready to use for us. So we do that. Mm-hmm. Um, Uh, Obviously, the books themselves are free of uh, intellectual property restrictions, so that's sort of a form of open source in the text Mm -hmm. itself. Uh, The EPUB format is uh, open source, and it builds entirely on open source technologies. It's basically XHTML on the inside in a zip file. That's more or less all it is, and it includes uh, various formats that are defined elsewhere, uh, like a metadata format uh, that... Uh, are all open source. And so, yeah, the the entire thing is open source from top to bottom. Uh, Our tool set is uh, released uh, under GPL 3, and the books themselves are, uh, the the text is already in the the US public domain. Uh, However, our producers add things like metadata, they add descriptions, they add kind of their own work. Mm -hmm. And so all of that is released uh, via CC0 public domain dedication. So, um, yeah.
0: Very cool. Well, thank you. Um, one yeah. last question. Sure. Do you have a favorite book?
1: Sure. Uh, the one I enjoyed the most was called *The Voyage to uh, a Voyage to Arcturus*. I think I mentioned it earlier, mm-hmm. and I liked it a lot because it was very surprising to me. I, you, you, you hear that title and you kind of think like a f- '50s rocket ship with like ray gun, like kind of uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs adventure, but it's not that at all. It's this really bizarre philosophical book. Uh, that you know, this guy is transported to this alien land, and each part of the land he goes through is a different philosophies, a different way of life. He goes through like the Nietzschean will to power land, and then he goes through like the communist utopia land, and he goes to like all these different places. Um, and it's a super interesting book. It, it, it became a cult classic. It's kind of still republished today. Um, but I enjoyed that a lot. Uh, I enjoyed Howard ends a lot. Howard's End a lot. That one was a big movie a couple years ago, but I read the book, and the book is very, very good, mm-hmm. um, very interesting. I enjoyed The Magnificent Ambersons, which won a Pulitzer, I think, in the 20s, and that's a book about how modern life kind of encroaches on people's happiness, mm. and especially when it comes to cars and and uh, urban developments, which is kind of a, like a personal bugbear of mine in real life is how americans are always driving everywhere um and i also enjoyed the foresight saga which is really big it's actually three books in one and that one is similar in theme to the magnificent ambersons it's about how the middle class developed in you know the 1850s ish and how how their desire to acquire material wealth kind of is something that uh, is dangerous. It's a, something that can sort of destroy a person's soul. And at the time it was written, the middle class was fairly new. Mm-hmm. Uh, for us, born in this age, we tend to forget that the middle class has not been around forever. Um, it, You know, in the Western world, it developed in sometime around the 1850s and only really became bigger towards the end of that century. And so people were very interested in writing about how that new developing social class was going to change things and how it was good or bad. And that's what um, this guy who wrote it saw. He saw that people were entering lives of working at you know banks and working as merchants and doing all these things that where they felt unhappy and powerless. and the only reason they were doing it was to buy a bigger house mm-hmm. and to own things, to own and control things. And that concept of private ownership and acquisition of material wealth was new to the society at the time. And, um, and I think it was a really powerful book. And he actually won a Nobel Prize for having written it, largely for having written it, which is unusual because most Nobel Prizes are awarded for a body of work.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's very unusual for a prize, uh, in, in literature at least, to be awarded uh, because he wrote one book. But he, it's uh, understood that he won the prize for that book. So, yeah.
0: That's fascinating. Well, I mm-hmm. just got a bunch of book recommendations, and I think I've actually I, I have already downloaded at least one of them. So Okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I think that's probably all we have time for. This, these these sessions always seem too short to really yeah that was very to quick really wrap up. But <laughs> um, any any parting thoughts about eBooks, about open source, about um, The project itself?
1: Um, Well, I would say, you know, in general, I would say uh, go out and read more. You know, uh, I think nowadays it's very easy to get sucked into one's phone. Uh, You're you're scrolling Reddit, you're scrolling Facebook, you're scrolling Instagram, and you, you suck up a lot of hours doing nothing and learning nothing and probably making yourself feel much worse. And I recommend to people to sit down and read more. Uh, if you really want to listen to my advice, please read more old books, because they have a lot of interesting insights that uh, are very relevant today, just like the book I just talked about. Uh, I think if people were to read the foresight saga, they'd realize that much of what he's talking about is their lives they're leading today. And uh, But we're so far removed from that inflection point in history that we don't think about it anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and being drawn back to to say, hold on, people were con- have, had concerns about this thing or that thing, um, some time ago and they expressed those concerns eloquently and they were thoughtful about it and what can I take from that in my own life I think is something that uh, can really benefit people so read more books
0: I, I co-sign that
1: <laughs>
0: read more books Good. Uh, well well thank you so much Alex for joining us today um, and I I just I really love the the project and I'm a typography nerd at this point so
1: oh great thank you yeah. well thank you very much and thanks for inviting me